0: Hello and welcome to the EdSearch Podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Stephen Uno, an editor here at EdSearch. If you're a regular listener, you may have caught Sal Khan, founder of the global YouTube sensation Khan Academy, here on the podcast a few weeks ago. When I sat down with Khan, my first question was about how he sees education being reimagined for the future. In response, he had a lot to say about mastery learning, or the concept that the pace of a class should match what each student is ready for, as a way to ensure they're really learning material. This week's guest says it's an easy sell to convince educators of the merits of that approach. The hard part is showing them what it actually looks like. Kara Johnson is a veteran of the high school science classroom who pioneered a flip-mastery approach, which puts many of Khan's ideas about learning into action. These days... Johnson works as an instructional specialist with her district science teachers at Allen ISD, which is north of Dallas. A few months ago, at the ASCD conference in Chicago, Johnson sat down with me to take a deep dive into this model. She explains what it looks like and how she deals with things like assessment and students who are falling behind. But she also shares how it can change the overall tone of the classroom. So if you're looking to master mastery learning, or if you just want to know what all the fuss is about, You won't want to miss this. Let's dive in. So, Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You uh, support teachers in 7th through 12th grade as an instructional tech specialist. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do?
1: Sure. Um, I work at a really big school district just north of Dallas, and I uh, support all the science teachers 7th through 12th grade. Um, That's about 75 teachers. And uh, day to day, I just kind of help them um, plan their curriculum, design their classroom structures and just talk through, you know, their goals and support them in a variety of capacities.
0: So when you were teaching, uh, you were known for doing kind of this mastery based, flip learning based uh, kind of approach. Can you tell us a little bit about how you taught when you were in the classroom?
1: Sure, yeah, so I taught um, both biology and anatomy for many years at the, at the school district I'm still working in. And my classroom didn't look too different than anybody else's, um, except for I set one really unique expectation, and that was that they, the students had to demonstrate mastery. They had to prove to me and prove to themselves that they've learned an idea, learned a concept, before moving on to the next one so um, when i set that really high expectation that there's no failing on any skill or concept the whole classroom environment shifted and it was more about the learning and less about the grades
0: yeah so uh, what does that really mean what does that boil down to this mastery based. you're expecting this concept of mastery right
1: yeah so i mean flip classroom really allowed me to create this classroom environment so What it really looks like is, for I took my curriculum, you know, for anatomy and for biology, and I looked at all the different concepts and skills that I needed them to learn. You know, so I made that list, and for every concept and skill that the students were expected to learn, I made a video. And I really tried to keep those videos less than 10 minutes. So the students had access to all of the learning components in the videos. And then in the classroom, I had uh, um, for every concept, every skill that they were expected to learn and master, I had some way for them to practice it. You know, whether it was a card sort, a vocabulary game, maybe an online simulation. You know, the vari- there's a variety of ways to practice a concept or skill, and it's different for every you know uh, um, content. Um, But so students would, you know, watch a video, they would go practice, and then I would have them, when they felt like they had learned everything that they were supposed to learn, they would take what I call a mastery check. Um, These mastery checks were usually about five, ten questions long. They would go to a separate place in the classroom, no notes, no cell phones, no talking, just them and their brain, and they would, you know, answer a few questions. If they were successful, they would move on to the next idea, the next concept, if they struggled and they didn't, they were not successful on that mastery check. Then I sent them back. I sent them back to rewatch the video. I sent them back to practice some more. Um, and the whole time, all of this is happening, I'm bouncing around students to students, student, student groups to student group, tracking where they are, measuring where what what have they learned, what have they not learned, you know, identifying misconceptions. I mean, it was just constant conversations with kids. Trying to drive their next steps in their learning. So in my in my mastery classroom, um, you know the, the the students had all of the tools, all of the resources they needed to learn, and they had the autonomy to learn all of that at a flexible pace, at a pace that fits their learning needs. Um, Rather than me saying, okay, everybody learned this today, and we're going to take a test on Friday. Everybody, whether you've learned it or not, you know. Um, I really wanted to move more in a direction where the students chose when they took the assessments. The students chose when they wanted to prove to themselves and to me that they had learned.
0: Did you, In those conversations, did you spend more time with kids who were struggling?
1: Yeah, so I... I'm kind of old school, so I had a clipboard, and I had every single skill and concept that I needed the kids to know. And I would literally just, every time I visited with a kid, I would check it off on the clipboard. When I saw a kiddo or two that really kind of were falling behind, they weren't really staying on top of the learning, those were the kids I targeted first. When I decided, okay, who am I going to talk to? Who am I going to converse with first today? Those were always my first hitters. And the questions I would ask them were definitely more scaffold. Uh, you know, you just, every learner's different, you know, and as a teachers, we all know um, what level of questioning we can ask different students to get the learning, you know. Um, so in those conversations, I could really scaffold and be more differentiated in the, in, in the delivery of what I needed them to understand.
0: Yeah. So uh, what about kids that move too quickly through the content or too slowly to the content? Because in the end, you had a place to get to by the end of the year. Yeah,
1: I mean, unfortunately, we are still in a system where you need to learn biology or whatever the content is within nine months, right? Um, So I gave all the students a pacing calendar, And this pacing calendar was my suggestion to them, like really by the end of these two weeks, you should have mastered X, Y, and Z, you know, it's important to give the kids a pacing calendar because they've never learned this material. They don't know what's an adequate time to spend on an idea or a concept. So I did give them a pacing calendar. And when I saw students um, going ahead of that pacing calendar, I those kids didn't, I gave those kids a high five. Like, good job. If you are learning the material and you're proving mastery, um, who am I to say, slow down, you need to spend more time here. But I will say that the kids that go too quickly, there's two kinds. There's the kinds that just go so quickly and they're just trying to get the work done, but they're not really learning. And then there's the kinds that That really are just are gifted in your subject area and really do grasp those concepts quicker and faster the kiddos that are moving just so quickly through the material they're just trying to get the work done i it's through those conversations and my frequent check-ins that i'm really assessing like did you really master that idea have you really has that really sunk in and is it really going to be retained And for those kiddos that I identify that they're just going through the material just too quickly, you know, I will slow them down. I will ask them to revisit some practice pieces or, you know, whatever I have for that concept. But again, like the ones that really are just gifted in my subject area, um, you know, I let them go. Just go on to the next idea. Go learn. You know, I mean some kids may only need six months to learn some curricula, you know, and that they they shouldn't be held back just because they're gifted in that. Now the, the bigger concern for me is the kiddos that are going to slowly, because like you said, they have to eventually, you know, finish, um, by the end of May, you know, um, for those kiddos, if I notice a kid falling maybe two weeks behind my suggested pacing calendar, I did a few things. One, I would sit down with them with a blank calendar and I would ask them to make me a plan. What are you going to do to catch up? You know, And in this plan, the focus was more on what are you doing every day in class? How are you deciding to use your time? What I found, most of the kiddos that were falling behind where they just weren't using their class time effectively. They were, you know, on their cell phones, they were chatting, they were, you know. So, so setting some realistic goals on what they could do each class time. You know, I'm gonna watch this video and I'm gonna do this practice problem and take this one mastery check. Um, just simply having them map out their, their, their goals that was a, that's a skill that many of these kiddos don't have. And so um, I would sit down with these kids that were falling behind and help them kind of map out a realistic goal for, for the next you know, few weeks so they could catch back up. And you know, maybe that in that plan they do some things at home or come in for tutoring, but I really was trying to focus on how can we get you back on track with, the, with using the time that I have with you, you know, in the classroom.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, so from what I'm hearing from you, proving mastery, uh, student proving mastery to you is a two-part process. They have to pass this assessment, but they also have to talk with you so that you understand that they've learned the material. Is that, is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I appreciate you highlighting that because you're exactly right. The, my, most of the grades that went in the grade book were the mastery checks, which they were allowed to retake as many times as they needed. Um, but each time they sat down to take a mastery check, again, those are usually like five, ten questions, takes them about 10 minutes. Each time they sat down, the questions were different. They, they, over the same topic, but they were different. So the kids weren't um, not just simply memorizing the answers to the questions. They actually had to go back and learn and be able to apply that learning to new questions. So that typically went into the grade book. But the other thing was those conversations and so what I did to help them, because that made some of the kids really nervous to know that I'm gonna have to talk to Ms. Johnson and prove my learning to her through conversations. For each video I made, I gave them three or four what I called check for understanding questions. They were really just the big ideas, the, the, um, what you should have gotten from this, this video. Those are the questions I asked them. When I came up to a kiddo and I was like, all right, let's talk. I, I wasn't trying to, you know, give them something out of left field. I would just simply read one of those check for understanding questions. So there was no, um, the students could prepare for those conversations. They were, they, they knew what I was going to ask. I wasn't going to just, you know, throw them into the wolves and say, you know, you know, explain this theory, you know. I gave them the questions I was going to ask. So I think they felt more comfortable about having those conversations because they knew they had time to prepare the, their responses.
0: So you saw the grades over the years. You saw the students that came in and out of your classroom. Mm-hmm. Does this approach work?
1: It does, and I mean, there's a lot of evidence out there and a lot of science, uh, studies that have proven that um, this works. Um, the biggest benefit that I saw—I mean, the grades were good and the grades did go up. I mean, but I felt like the be- the bigger benefit. Was the change in the classroom environment? Students stopped asking me, "What grade did I get on that? What, what was my what is my grade now?" That was no longer the question. They instead started asking me, "Why did I um, why did I miss this one? Or well, can you explain to me why uh, this is the answer, not this the answer?" The, the shift in the conversation was more about learning and less about grades because I took out the grade component. They could redo anything for a hundred. Um, just we had to prove. I don't care when you're going to learn it, just learn it, right? So if that's today, if that's tomorrow, as long as you've learned it, the grade will be a reflection of your learning. And when that element of the grade being finalized and not able to be manipulated, once that was taken out of the equation, the, the conversations all were around the learning. What, what, you know, How can I better understand this idea of skill?
0: So you were doing all of this within a lens of a flipped classroom. Yes. Can you explain the flipped component?
1: Yeah. So to me, this, what I've described thus far is like the next step. Like I did flipped classroom for many years. And when I approached flipped classroom, I, my goal was to remove the teacher-centered component of my instruction um, so any time I felt like I was going to have to stand in front of the class for more than 10 or 15 minutes and give a lecture, I turned that into a video. And those videos, um, I let the students watch them in class, at home, on the school bus. I really didn't care when they watched them. But that, just simply creating those videos, uh, flipping that that component of the lecture. Um, really opened up the doors for more time in the classroom to do the practice, to do the hands-on learning, to have those conversations that we're describing. It also allowed my kiddos that where English was their second language to watch and re-watch. I'm I'm a native speaker to English and I speak very quickly and I know this. Um, So some of my kiddos that are learning English needed to slow me down, which they could through the power of video, and they could re-watch me. Or the kiddos that, you know, thought they understood it, they went and practiced, and now they're lost and confused. By me turning my my lecture components into videos, they could go back and rewatch me and refresh the learning, you know. Um, now, that's how I approached Flip Classroom. Um, however, it doesn't necessarily have to be a video. It could be, um, you know, in... In English um, language arts, it could be a reading passage. You know, it could be explore this website. It could be listen to this podcast. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a video, but that's how I approach Flip Classroom.
0: Yeah. So you currently support 75 teachers and you speak here at conferences. What are some of the big questions, stumbling blocks, misconceptions you get from teachers who like this approach but aren't quite at a high level with it?
1: Yeah, I think most of the time I don't have to convince people that mastery learning should be done. Like, I think most educators agree that students should prove they understand a concept before they move on to the next concept. Like that is not usually the conversation. It's usually more about the logistics. Like how do you literally make it happen? You know, how do you track student progress? You know, and like I said, I held a clipboard and I, every time I had a conversation with a kid, I would mark that on the clipboard. I've seen teachers do it with an iPad or on a cell phone. Um, you know figuring out the classroom management components um in this environment kids will need you at all different times within the classroom how do they call you over without interrupting the learning you know so i just simply had like this this cup system the red solo cups and if they wanted me to come over and talk with them they would turn their cup to i think i turned to green and i would go over there and i would have a conversation with them and if they weren't ready to have a conversation with me, they kept their cup purple. And just simply that little trick kind of allowed me to real quickly assess the classroom and see what do the kids need? Do they need to prove mastery to me or do they need to keep learning? Um, so most of the teachers that are wanting to dive into this, they, they're wanting to hear some of those tips and tricks and tools to make it happen in their classroom.
0: Yeah. uh, And I wanted to ask kind of a a two parter question. How did students respond to this? And then also, how did parents respond?
1: Um, You know, I think it's important for me to be honest. A lot of students struggled initially with this environment because they've, in my experience, none of these kids have ever been held to this such high expectations. Um, So often students have learned, especially by high school years, that, well, if I fail a quiz or if I fail an assignment, you know, it's not a big deal. I can just move on and do better on the next one and recover that grade. But when I set the expectation that there's no, you have to prove mastery on every idea, you have to stay within that concept, that idea, until you've truly learned it, that frustrated some of the kiddos because they 've just never been held to that high expectation, um, however, I, with that said um, but by you know two, three months within learning in this environment, the students came around they realized the value of um, um, really having the opportunity to retake assessments and 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 continue to practice until they learn it they started to understand how to be learners and and um, use their time wisely in the classroom and become organized like those kind of skills the students started to see the value in those Um, the parents parents loved it when they understood it and so if a teacher wanted to do flip mastery learning, one of my big suggestions is to communicate, 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 communicate to the administrators, communicate to the parents, communicate what you're doing. Because often, if parents hear that you have videos and you've got these activities and the kids are driving their own learning, they think that the teacher's just sitting off to the side and you know doing nothing. Where the complete opposite is happening, the teacher is running around like crazy, um so I used to like film my classroom and send it home to the parents and say look this is what it looks like you know I would send the videos home to the parents and be like this is the things that your students are asked to watch um you know they're only 10 minutes long and here are some of the things that they're going to do in class to practice that skill you know really open the doors of your classroom and explain it to the parents because when the parents understand mastery learning oh my gosh they and administrators, they love it. They love that you're giving your their students the opportunity to continue to work at an idea until they've truly learned it. I mean, what parent wouldn't want that, you know?
0: Yeah, so uh, besides, you know, communicate, uh, what are your other tips for getting started?
1: Um, I, um, before you dive into Flip Mastery Learning, you got to get your administrators on board. Um, because when one thing that i had to get the okay from the administrators from was on report card days you know when you had to submit all your grades for report cards there are going to be a small handful of kiddos that haven't quite mastered you know a skill or two and so what i got permission to do was put zeros in the grade book for those skills because they have not proven mastery right they have 0% evidence of mastery however once those kiddos did learn those skills or concepts, whatever it may be, um, I got the permission from the administrators to go back and change that report card, go back and put the hundreds or whatever grade they earned in there. So, so ultimately, those, the grade would um, go up, you know. Um, and, and the administrators were on board because they understood that learning happens at different times for most some kiddos, and so, um, it, once I got the administrators on board with that component, you know and then explained it to the parents, that was really helpful. Um, the other like tips that I would suggest to teachers is then kind of look at uh, what are you know what are the um, the lesson cycles that you 're going to send the kids through you know you want to make sure. That the video that you have only covers one concept, that there's a practice piece for each one of those concepts, and that the mastery check is truly just te- go covering that one concept. Um, because if the mastery check was covering three or four ideas and the kiddo was unsuccessful, how do you know what they were unsuccessful at. You know, was it this skill or that skill? So, so you need to make sure that your assessments are aligned to the learning and that they really are only covering one topic. So we can really decide next steps. So can they move on or do they need to continue to work in that idea?
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cara. I yeah. really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. A special thanks to Cara Johnson for joining us and to everyone out there for listening. Each week, we feature conversations like this one, so please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And take a moment to give us a rating to help others find us. This episode was produced by me, Steven Unu, with an editing assist by my colleague, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Until then.